everybody to First Principles Podcasts. As always, you are joined by your hosts, myself, Trees, and my good co-host, Elliot. Today, we will be discussing a really interesting subject, something that's very nuanced, that isn't being discussed very much in uh, the mainstream media, in the uh, contemporary news, and we wanted to touch on it, bring some eyeballs towards it, and uh, that is the subject of greening that is being caused potentially due to increased carbon dioxide concentrations in the atmosphere due to uh, more emissions, more climate emissions. So, of course, climate change, that's been in the news lately. Everybody's been talking about it. The new IPCC report has been referring to it. And one of the things that has been reported but has been kind of underreported, you could say, is the greening impact that is taking place. So with more CO2, of course, plants, trees, all that stuff, they take more or they take in CO2, uh, which helps with greening, perhaps higher yield, longer seasons of production, so on and so forth. And these uh, benefits are being kind of uh, underreported. So that's kind of what we wanted to touch on on uh, this episode. Any thoughts uh, on that? Elliot, before we jump into some of the heart of the today's content, mm. yeah, I mean, this is a topic that uh, is very interesting. Uh, there is a lot of unknowns surrounding it still, um, and we want to bring uh, some clarity to it. Well, what we can, uh, based on what we know and what we've read and, and seen so far, and uh, I did want to say that you know. Uh, there might be the criticism out there that this is, uh, you know, uh, nitpicking uh, what we're about to talk about. But we want to um, say up front uh, that this uh, concept of greening uh, that's driven by uh, increasing the CO2, uh, we're not saying this is going to, to save, the, uh, save us from some of the detrimental impacts of climate change um, we're, we're here to do. Uh, but we do want to talk about what it is doing. And the reality is, it doesn't matter where you are on the political spectrum, the uh, concepts that are uh, associated with climate change are going to be brought up and uh, people have no problem nitpicking them from different angles. And we're going to bring of, of nitpicking on this subject. Uh, that definitely don't tell the whole story, um, you know, often just portray it in a negative light and, uh, and uh, you know, expose that for what it is. Um, there is some, uh, you, there is some good that will come of climate change. It's not all doom and gloom. Um, so with that, uh, I, I have found some clips uh, and well, actually, should I should back up here and tell you how this came to be? So, I heard this very interesting segment on another podcast about a local news uh, uh, news outlet providing this you know one sided story about uh, what the impacts of uh, more CO two in the atmosphere had on on plants and. And uh, you'll see when we get into it more about what it's really about. But I, I was I was struck by just how one-sided this clip was. So I went online to try to find it. And I was surprised 
to come across multiple versions of this idea being presented from different news outlets over the last 10 years. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it shocked me. And I was, I, 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 so I, what I've done is I found three clips taken from different times, first starting in 2013 from uh, US Today talking about this, this topic. But uh, you want to just roll it and we'll, uh, we'll go from there? Yeah, and I just want to touch on that. The, you know, this whole subject is kind of being really touchy with people when I feel like it shouldn't be. It should be kind of seen as like a, a positive thing that can be taken from some of these uh, negative news. But it seems like people are really clinging to the doom and gloom narrative. I think why that's kind of like the thing the maybe the angle that I want to highlight from my side is just like people who want to capitalize off of this doom and gloom idea, this notion, because there's value in it. You know, when there's a crisis, there's an opportunity. Every crisis creates some opportunity to pass some sort of measures, pass some sort of policies you wanted to get done, but maybe you couldn't get the support beforehand. But now all of a sudden the crisis creates the parameters for you to pass these things forward. So it's almost like they want to hold on to this and they won't even like give this small bit of potentially good news like it's due you know they'll, you'll see articles which we'll get to later in this podcast from new york times for example that totally just crap all over any research as such because they're like oh no this is bad news we shouldn't be hopeful at all like don't get too excited and they'll list a bunch of reasons that are just like really silly um so yeah to me that's just the interesting part that this whole doom and gloom narrative that's taking place in mainstream society and where that's coming from is is it true? Is it warranted? Um, maybe not based on some of this research and we'll get into all that good stuff. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a good point uh, to make. And the reality is uh, it's never clear cut. And yet it constantly has to be made clear cut. It has to be that even discussing some of these uh, benefits is considered uh you know taboo because it will send the wrong message uh you know the opponent will latch onto these and use these ah you know this doesn't need to be taken so seriously because of these things and and right now you know it's just constantly you'll hear about you know all these politicians going to the un and and oh we're not going to make our climate um targets and and this and that this and that and and there's no political will you know, and and you'll have Greta up there saying blah blah blah. That's all people are are saying, um, and uh, nothing's happening. And you know, what? you can focus on that, and that can infuriate you, but it's not going to do you any good. You know, we're here as engineers. Engineers try to find solutions to problems. One of the things we're going to highlight today is something interesting. It's not a human-made uh, solution. Nature has its own built-in solutions in some ways, um, but. You know, some combination of both, I think, is going to help us uh, mitigate the the negative effects of of climate change on the human race. That is, um, over the next hundred years. But the you know, we're here to talk about um, you know solutions, and I think getting out of uh, you know understanding what the real circumstances are is the first step in finding the right solutions. We've advocated this for a long time. If you understand the picture clearly. Uh, with the nuances, uh, you know, uh, understood, uh, then you are in a better spot 
to to come up with um, solutions that are actually going to hold and 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 maybe not make the mistakes of 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 just trying to wait for politicians to 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 enact you know some something that you think is going to solve this issue this this is you know, we're talking about changing people's mind about um, the way they are beha- they behave uh, when they navigate uh, their lives and and how some of the decisions you know will uh, uh, that they make uh, cons- with consumption and and understanding the world will will lead to be- beneficial outcomes um, but you know I mean you turn on the TV I'm not a cable news watcher it just shocks no. me when I, I see clips from cable news and think <laughs> this is what people watch and it struck yeah. me recently actually I, I've been traveling a bit you know, that's partly why these episodes are coming out so sporadically we haven't had a chance to sit down and do as many but um when i'm in a hotel room sometimes you know you walk right in the hotel there's a tv playing with whatever cnn uh whatever local global news will just be playing non-stop on the on in the kind of foyer of the hotel and then some of these hotels will have the audacity to have the tv playing when you enter the room Oh, it's wow. like I have to turn it off to <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> uh, uh, when I get in, and it and it's and it's just like you kind of wonder, like uh, that is just such a absurd idea that that this stuff is just being broadcasted out there, and uh, and and uh, you know consumed at that that level by by some people, but I mean it doesn't help that that these hotels are just. Making normalizing it basically, they're just like throwing that out there, like without you even wanting it necessarily. But yeah, yeah, one of the focus on just like yeah, the whole idea of um, trying to under understand what's really happening here with the whole greening effect and how that le uh, how that ties into the whole uh, global warming, uh, climate change picture, mm-hmm. because I, I think that's important to understand when we're looking at the full picture and trying to understand things as we do from first principles because part of that is to look at data which maybe you didn't expect or you didn't see coming and put it into your model and see how it changes things but what i don't like is when people try to downplay it or try to brush it aside as though it's not important and kind of discredit it because it maybe goes against their narratives or whatever and uh, it just kind of like shows their their biases maybe it kind of like maybe exposes some people if anything so to me, it's it's important to, okay, we have ideas of climate change. If there's some things that come out from the research that maybe can help ameliorate the situation, then we need to take a look at that. And how can we, you know, it's like uh, looking at a business and seeing how can, where areas we can, where we can improve. And sometimes it's what the place where you're doing good. You, you improve those things even more. You can get even more value than improving other things that you're doing bad. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. it's kind of like a weird thing. Um, but yeah, let's get into these clips and get some uh, better idea of uh, what is being put out there or kind of like some of the things that we found anyway. So you want to just introduce this first clip that we're going to be taking a look at? Yeah, sure. Like I said, uh, I found a bunch of clips and I've only chosen three of them, uh, that cover the same topic. Uh, the first one we're going to listen to is from us today and it was put out in 2013.
rising carbon dioxide may be driving you right to your doctor's office. I'm Shannon Ray Green for USA Today's Weathering the Change. Here's one way climate change could affect your health. Carbon dioxide, or CO2, is a heat-trapping greenhouse gas that's emitted when burning fossil fuels, such as gasoline, from your car. The added CO2 in the atmosphere stimulates plant growth, and bigger plants in turn produce more pollen. This creates a sniffly mess for people who suffer from allergies. In the early 20th century, CO2 concentrations were at 280 parts per million, and they could reach 720 by 2075. USA Today is examining climate change in a series called Weathering the Change. Search for it on usatoday.com. Weathering the Change. Uh, it's an interesting uh, reality that we now have uh, basically news organizations opening up these uh, indep- these uh, departments that focus on these different topics um, and uh, they'll bring little uh, short segments like you just heard there uh, to to for public consumption about the different impacts of climate change but you know what you just heard there I, I just found absolutely r- ridiculous I mean it's it's not ridiculous in the sense that Allergies aren't terrible for some people, and some people suffer from them, um, and and more people will suffer from them with the increase in um, with pollen. But it's the the angle of of talking about you know we have more CO two in the atmosphere, and this is having this effect as being a fertilizer to enhance growth of plants, and this is being painted in this segment so specifically towards the increase of pollen and what that will have on people with allergies because that is just one minuscule component of of what what this excess CO2 fertilization could mean for us. You know, what, what did you think of that when you heard that? Yeah, I think uh, when it comes to like CO2 and uh, its impact on pollen, okay, you can say, yeah, there's there might be more uh, pollen being generated due to increasing yield or uh, increasing um, photosynthesis by those plants. Um, but I would then argue that it's a bit arrogant to claim that this is the mechanism that's leading to this oversized um, population of people with asthma and so on and so forth because there could easily be other factors such as weak immune systems there's been people that have been for the last 18 months at home not exposing themselves to any uh, bacteria any any potential external environmental factors so there's there's that you know like it, there's so many factors that go into what your immune response is to uh, pollen two different things you know what, what are people's diets uh, how, are, how are people diets impacting the, those things how is people's sleep impacting these things you know there's so many uh, huge trends that are happening simultaneously they're taking place and to kind of throw that out there as though yes this is in fact what's taking place when it's very inconclusive that uh, like anything at all it just just shows you what news really is they'll just kind of like take on like clickbait um headlines that are stimulating they'll cause you to have some sort of charged reaction to it or something i don't know it's just kind of weird yeah well i i look at it like this it's uh 
it's a topic that that impacts uh you know impacts a certain population and i'm not gonna uh not going to uh, confirm this but it's it it seems to me that if you are uh, somebody who suffers from allergies, I think there's a higher proportion of individuals that suffer from allergies that live in urban areas. I think that's fair. Is that fair? Oh. And just like modern, yeah, civilized urban areas, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, maybe I shouldn't go here and speculate on on that, but, you know, again, this is this was from 2013, uh, and... You know, so different different time than currently, but it it, it goes to show this this very narrow uh, view of 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 what CO two fertilization um, you know uh, causes in terms of um, its impact on on the planet. Um, so. <laughs> You know, but let's let let you know. There's more nuance to this, so let's let's listen to this next clip. Uh, this no, no, I want I want to I want to keep yeah. on touching on this because yeah. I, I I do think that the the this lady, you know, like it's it's just so convenient to highlight all the the negative aspects of the greening that's taking place, right? Because what she did, she highlighted there's greening, which leads to more. Pl- she she acknowledged there's more plant growth. Right in that same sentence, she acknowledged there was more plant growth, which she could have focused on, but she chose not to. That's she it. She carried the sentence forward and focused on the pollen, which is the, the potential negative impact, which is unknown. So she neglected the thing that is known, which is the increased plant growth, which is what could be perceived to be good. But she focused on the thing which was uncertain, which is the pollen and its impact on people's allergies. So I want to point out some stats that actually are pretty good with regards to greening or are kind of interesting with regards to greening because we think we, we think of greening and like oh how much co2 is being taken out or in and whatever we think about it co2 but at the end of the day if we're talking about global warming we're talking about heating temperatures right and when it comes to heat and temperature then co2 isn't the only parameter that uh impacts temperature so, so here's impact, it impacts temperature it's not the only parameter that impacts right, temperature. Right. So I have this interesting quote from NASA.gov, so somewhat decent source, and it says the greening of the lands during the last, uh, during the first 15 years in the 21st century represented an additional heat dissipation of 2.97 times 10 to the 21 or 1,021 joules. I'm not sure why they used that particular unit. It's a bit weird but yeah so they have that so anyways that is to say that there's been um 2.97 times 1021 joules um of heat that's been dissipated so again we're focusing on heat not just carbon dioxide from the surface equivalent to five times the total energy production used by humans in 2015 so this greening-induced cooling effect was 25 times stronger than the warming effect caused by tropical deforestation. Let me say that again. The greening-induced cooling effect was 25 times stronger than the warming effect caused by tropical deforestation. You don't hear quotes like that very often. You don't hear people focusing on that very often. She could have, in that same vein, taken her train of thought and focused on some of the positive things. 
such as what 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 I just stated there. That's no small thing. Freaking when we talk about heating and cooling, that's ultimately what we want to focus on, right? It's not just CO two. It's it's what the CO two lead in terms of temperature and then the the impacts and so on and so forth, right? So if we want to look at the more fundamental thing of heat temperature being the issue, then we have to look at kind of some of the other parameters, not just CO two, and realize okay, there's actually some other benefits taking place here. Yeah, and I mean. Obviously, we don't need to beat the dead horse on this. Obviously, um, news media is slanted. <laughs> but I would like to go back to what you just read there. Can you break that down again, like to summarize it? Because uh, I think that's important for people to hear. Um, but it might be a, it might have sounded a bit technical from okay. the first yeah. reading. Yeah. yeah, let's try that again. Sure. Uh, so it says, The greening of the lands during the first 15 years in the 21st century mm-hmm. represented an additional heat dissipation of 2.97 times 1,021 joules from the surface. So in the first 15 years, meaning uh, from 2000 on to 2015, we were able to dissipate that much heat due to the greening from the surface, which is equivalent to five times the total energy produced and used by humans in 2015. So in one year uh, of um, heat generation, we were able to uh, negate it by five, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Because it says, again, from the surface equivalent to five times the total energy produced and used by humans in 2015. Um, This greening-induced cooling effect was 25 times stronger than the warming effect caused by tropical deforestation. So we hear a lot of it talk about, oh, deforestation is leading to uh, global warming, the Amazon, it's the lungs of the earth, so on and so forth. But we come to realize that the greening that is taking place is actually having 25 five times more benefit than any deforestation that's taking place. Interesting. <laughs> this is from NASA. That's wild. <laughs> that's wild. That's fucking wild. <laughs> NASA.gov, son. Which you know, if, if you're not, if you trust NASA as a source anyways. And then I found this other uh, quote from um, Fizz dot org or something that was really i think funny um and it says um yeah yeah fizz.org so they had something they had an article titled uh plant greener globe something like that so it says it says um there's a quote in there which i want to highlight it says it is ironic that the very same carbon emissions responsible for harmless changes to climate are also fertilizing plant growth which in turn is somewhat moderating global warming right so kind of alluding to what i what i just mentioned um uh, says study co-author dr jarl bjerk of the norwegian institute of nature research or whatever but i would say to dr bjerk in all due respect that it's kind of not ironic because if you know anything about chemistry biology there's always countering reactions that take place and there's equilibrium that's reached when you have something that that is at a stasis it's static and then it it shifts one way oftentimes there's things to counter and shift that balance in the reverse order to re-equilibrate things and 
an example of this is uh, in chemistry when you hear of Le Chatelier's principle, which mm. was when you're looking at um, uh, chemical reactions and finding equilibrium between chemical reactions because you have forward and backwards reactions. It was essentially saying that whatever you do to a reaction that pushes it forwards or backwards, whether it's producing more of a product or more of a reactant, so moving forward or backwards, the reaction will naturally respond in a way where it counters the impact or the input that you put to push it. So if you push it one way, it'll push naturally and re-equilibrate the other way. So it's just to say that there are many different mechanisms built within nature that when things get pushed too far one way, there's a counterbalance that takes place and it pushes the reaction or in a bigger sense, you know, something like this of this nature, when you're talking about like a whole global system of carbon and sequestration and all that stuff, pushes things in the other direction. So to me, it's not that surprising. No, no. In <laughs> fact, it's it's not surprising to anybody who studies science. This guy's a doctor, bro. Doctor Jarl Berg of the Norwegian Institute of Nature Research. Yeah, I gotta Google this guy. Who the hell is this guy? Who is he? Who is he? But I wanted to let, let's <laughs> let's 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 break it down a little uh, bit because to us, all these concepts are very, um, you know, uh, usual. They are there's something we 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 uh, see in our day-to-day uh, work and but for some people there's the basics they have to they have to understand so we can talk about plants photosynthesis I mean if you went to high school uh, this was broken down for you you have uh, plant matter um, leaves basically uh, they take in sun they take in water they take in co2 and they create sugars and they the sugars are used to build up plants um trees you know sugars the sweet sweet sugar yeah those those those, those, you know uh candy cane trees are that Mm. we're building and um one article that uh, i read in preparation for this was about carbon uh sequestration can't even say that let me me, me try that again (laughs) (laughs) this has been a problem word for me all day uh, sequestration. Nice, you nailed it. Yeah, nailed second time's a charm. Um, nailed it like a thirteen-year-old Chinese girl at the Olympics. I don't know what to make of that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're good at their gymnastics. Uh, okay, they'll, they'll, right. they'll nail the landing. They, yes. they stick it. That's right. That's <laughs> they right. Stick the landing. I gotcha. Okay. Well, no negative connotations there. Good. Good. Uh, so the the tree the trees uh, the trees forests are fascinating and they are. Interesting because the they are one of the largest uh, plant forms uh, on the planet, and they the their their ability to actually um, uh, create a net effect in terms of removing carbon from the atmosphere and locking it into a solid form. Um, I don't think is uh, done by any other plant. Uh, uh, in large scale, I mean, there's there's got to be engineered designed um, systems that that uh, uh, people have made that are, are can can be comparable to it. But trees are fantastic for capturing carbon, and you know, even uh, this this article points out that it is it's locking that that carbon into 
the materials that make up the trunk and the branches that really lock that carbon in. Um, there is obviously some return of the carbon to the atmosphere when, you know, at, in the winter, the leaves fall off the trees, those, those leaves fall to the ground, they biodegrade, and, and carbon is released back into the atmosphere. Um, but that, that, that forests have a profound effect on, on managing CO2 concentration atmosphere. Now, they are, like we said at the beginning, not the only thing, they're not going to uh, be able to keep up with um, exorbitant amount of CO2 being entering the atmosphere, but they do, they do a, a great job. And I think what that guy is saying and what I've kind of gleaned from some of the studies in the IPCC report that, you know, with more management of forests and land um, by humans, that there could be greater um, gains made in terms of CO2 reduction. And so if, I mean, it doesn't seem, I'm asking you this, does it seem that crazy to think that if we are able to, in combination, cut CO2 levels, and now I'm not talking going down to zero, I'm not talking about getting rid of CO2 emissions completely, but cut CO2 emissions, increase um, forest and land management so that we have greater uh, areas of, of trees. At, at the same time, you know, we're dealing with the, the increase of the growing season as, the, as climate change changes, uh, how long the warm period is and allows places in the northern hemisphere to, um, you know, meet conditions that allow plant growth. All these things added up. Does it really seem that crazy that things could could balance out? It doesn't seem yeah. crazy to me. Yeah, I mean, when you have uh, data that shows that the the forestation and the the growth of plants is already doing such a bulk of the heavy lifting when it comes to the heat and the dissipation of heat, because ultimately that's what we care about, right? When it comes to global warming, then we want, we're talking about warming, we're talking about heat and temperatures, right? right. So if we uh, are able to do a bulk of the heavy lifting with something that we can already see and measure and actually uh, be able to uh, almost like uh, on a very accurate and specific level, it's actually, we, we have data where we can say per acre of this type of tree, we're going to get this type of uh, CO2 sequestration right like we can almost measure it to that degree of accuracy so it's not that unrealistic or unfeasible uh, to say that okay if we were to stabilize our co2 emissions which is arguably what we're already headed towards with such a big direction towards you know automakers uh, minimizing any combustion vehicles and so on and so forth right there's there's all these pushes and now how big of an impact is that ultimately going to make when you have such big players as russia still running their natural gas and all the stuff happening in the middle east and realistically there's still thousands of years of oil to be exploited so it's just like what are we actually doing yes. here it's like this it's like a game uh but without going down that rabbit hole of thinking too much yeah uh, yeah you can definitely see that if we were to kind of stabilize uh, emissions which i think like i know there are we are kind of increasing in certain areas but other places we've more or less stabilized so it's not to say that everywhere has stabilized but i think where the trend is 
more so towards civilization. Is that a fair statement to say in terms of CO2 emissions? Although I guess that we are saying that, you know, PPM concentration is rising to, uh, you know, by 2075, it said, what, seven, 700 PPM or something. So concentration is increasing. I don't know. It's hard, hard to say. Yeah, where, I'm not where, gonna. Where I'm not gonna say at. one way or the other. It's a bit maybe too too soon to know if we're if we're really gonna read a, reach a stabilization. And, and there and there's so many factors at play, right, to determine mm-hmm. if if we reach stabilization. But I think the 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 point that needs to be made is the greening potential and 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 of of that's ca- that caused by climate change. And and forest management uh, does not play an insignificant role in it. No. So the, the the idea would be that if it played an insignificant role, we could you know talk to a purple in the face about this as being so great. But when when you we zoom out, you go, well, it's a it's a flash in the pan. Yeah. It's nothing, right? Yeah. Um. But what I think could be the case here is that um we we don't want to think because this is not being talked about that this isn't you know um doesn't have a potential to be significant in helping us out here and i you know we can argue about what's significant but i would say like even a 10 percent help or 15 or 20 percent in my mind is something worth considering well we uh, had five times the removal in one year yeah so that's pretty crazy that's pretty crazy that's yeah that's that's uh, but uh you you say that though, uh, and in, in turn there are outlets like New York Times which are trying to downplay the positive impacts of the greening that's taking place. And I found this one article actually that I can maybe discuss at this point because it's really interesting because it's titled "Global Greening Sounds Good in the Long Run It's Terrible." Hmm. Like, terrible, really? Like terrible? Like is that <laughs> like? Like how, like how pessimistic can you be when you're gonna say it's terrible? Mind you, I read the article and nothing in it pointed towards it being terrible. It was just like some stuff that was like I don't know, inconvenient, which we can go through in a little bit of detail. But yeah, it's just like to use such a strong. It's terrible. Really, global greening of the world is terrible. Like yeah, freaking Scrooge McDuck over here. Like get unbelievable. Bent. Uh, well, no, completely believable from the yeah, New York Times. From but, New York Times, exactly. Uh, the, I wanted to say that this actually is an important lesson for headline readers is because <laughs> I, you know, there's going to be somebody out there that talks about greening and then you're going to type it in and then yeah. the New York Times episodes, you know, uh, New York Times um your article is going to pop up and the headline is going to be there. And, ah, yeah, those guys are full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me. You read that freaking article and I, and you will find that, the yeah, there is somebody full of shit and it's not us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. And I'll give you, okay. So I don't know if they had a specific order. So they had four primary reasons for why it's quote unquote terrible that we have global greening. And number one are based on how it was written i don't know if they didn't have like a number one this is the number one reason but out of this was the thing that was chronologically listed in the article as the first reason which was more photosynthesis doesn't mean more food more photosynthesis doesn't mean more food Hmm. so first of all to me that's a total red herring because you're ignoring the fact of the conversation of greening which 
now you're shifting the conversation towards food production. So it, again, it just shows me how dishonest they are with their assessment of this subject matter when instead of focusing on the issue of just greening and, uh, you know, for example, um, again, when we talk about uh, global warming, climate change, we talk about heat. And for example, the NASA article talks about the heat dissipation. You know, you would want to talk about those types of things when you talk about greening, but then they shift towards a discussion of food production, which is kind of relevant, but not really when you're talking about the potential implications from a global warming or climate change point of view mm. in terms of uh, more food and the the reasons that they that they give. Well, before you go into the reasons, Mm -hmm. because immediately I would have issue with what they said there because we know that um, methods to um, capture nitrogen, uh, nitrogen fertilizer, fertilization, um, uh, uh, was it Hubbard was his name? Uh, It was Hubbard and uh, the Hubbard cycle, the Hubbard cycle, the nitrogen. For nitrogen led to crazy advancements in terms of how much food you could get off the land because when you fertilize you you grow things better you can grow more you can grow faster all this stuff so co2 is one component of of fertilization um exactly you know there's obviously you need water and you need other fertilizing agents as well but so you know I'm curious, like, what are they going to say here? Because to me, it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like you're, you're adding a few mo- bit more fertilizer that obviously should help uh, plants grow, and that's what it's doing. But why is it not helping with food production? Right. So naturally, your instinct was like, bullshit, right? Okay. Right. More photosynthesis doesn't mean more food. You're going to be like, bullshit, because by definition, photosynthesis is the process of taking out freaking carbon dioxide, freaking uh, the sun and water, and you're making biomass, you're making plant, plant matter, matter yeah. out of that carbon. So it's literally the, the pro, which is where food comes from. So uh, putting that aside, though, it says, yes, we now get far more food from each acre of farmland than we did a century ago. But extra carbon dioxide only accounts for a small fraction of the increase. So what, they're not- the first sentence, <laughs> they contradict themselves. <laughs> The second sentence. The second <laughs> sentence. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> they just they write the they write the titles just to outrage you, enrage you. Oh my! God. Like it literally admits that carbon dioxide did impact it. It just says, "Oh well, it was actually a small. It was just a small fraction of the increase." Actually, well, in your title, it says it doesn't mean more food. So if you were to read that, you would think like, "Oh, okay, it actually like it, there's no relation." But in in actuality, you admit in the first sentence that there is an impact. You're just making the claim that it wasn't as big as uh you know maybe other impacts such as uh how, how farmland is maybe used in policy. So gross. So it says the 30% increase in photosynthesis does not translate into a 30% increase in strawberries off the land. Well, nobody said it did first and foremost. Um, while like, thanks for treating us as though we're infants in New York times while photo they got. And of course they just got some like random doctor, Dr. Campbell as, as a quote, um, for it's like you can find any doctor to quote anything that you want. Nowadays. That's a, I find I, that's a problem. That's a freaking you problem. You know what? There's an expert on, that give you any opinion you want now it seems you know exactly and and this goes to the cherry picking where it's just like the the standards of journalism is is 
okay, we have a narrative now. We're going to write an article. So we'll phone up the expert that's going to give us the right responses to the story exactly. that we've already come to the conclusion of. Exactly. And it's just confirmation bias, man. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And, and, that's, and that's what we're alluding to before about like doing the first principles analysis, doing the nuanced look, taking a look at data that might be inconvenient to your narrative, to your global outlook, but just taking it as it is in a non-emotional, impartial way. And so to continue on what this guy says, though, it, it just gets even to me even more just ridiculous because it says while photosynthesis while photosynthesis does pull carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere much of the gas goes right back into the air right and the reason at night the chemical reaction in plants essentially run backward in a process known as respiration plants pump out carbon dioxide instead of put it instead of pulling it in so reading that you would think that respiration is um, actually a pretty big factor and uh photosynthesis like okay it's going up but what, whatever respiration it, it doesn't matter but it's like dude like Everybody knows photosynthesis is what plants do. Respiration isn't what plants do. Respiration is what people do. People put out CO2. Plants put out oxygen. That's how this works. And we actually looked this up, this number, and the ratio of photosynthesis to respiration is at about 0.42 or something like that. So it's like a 1 to 2, essentially. So... So essentially, it's at a one to two ratio, or one to two point five. So at the rate at which it's taking in at photosynthesis is about, um, you could say, twice as much as the respiration. Oh, more than twice as much as the race respiration that is being put out. So. But then the way that it's worded is that, oh, no, it's, it's not a big deal because much of that gas goes right back into the air. Again, they're just like trying to downplay the whole impact and just it's like they can't they can't give like one small win. They can't like no. give one small win. So they uh, it's just so gross. And and I wanted to say to that, it's like <sighs> it. it it does matter these ratios because as we discussed earlier if it was just equal that you know plants take in as much as they release then uh what good is that in terms of uh balancing out or having mechanisms to balance out um systems like there's there has to be I guess this goes back to understanding of of chemical and biological systems. If things were always equal, uh, the the ability and, and not dynamic in their ability to change under certain circumstances, then uh, things would spiral spiral out of control really quickly, mm-hmm. right? And what's laughable, going back to that clip about you know. Um, pollen growth and greening and stuff like that is that like essentially in a weird way these 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 uh articles these uh these uh newscasts are saying plants are bad which is crazy <laughs> yes yeah, it's, like- it's you know and it's and it's uh i mean i can't believe they they can't step back and you know uh, see the forest from the trees. Well, I don't know if they're saying that they're bad. Like maybe that's a bit too far. 
Are they saying oh, that? Oh, is it? Why don't uh, we play the next clip? Okay, all right. Maybe Sam <laughs> I stay corrected. <laughs> clip number two. This is a local TV uh, uh, TV bit from 2019. Um, you want to set it up some more or just take a listen? Yeah, I think uh, I, I, if I remember correctly, it's uh, it, it, who's it who's associated. So it's a local channel. Um, and... It's, uh, oh, it's ABC affiliated. Have your eyes been itching and watering lately? They are common signs of allergies, right? And this year, the suffering could end up being a lot worse than usual if suffering. you haven't felt it already. 7 Eyewitness News reporter Ala Araby looks at what's behind all the misery this spring. If you think your spring allergies are getting worse, you're right. According to the Union of Concerned Scientists, climate change is to blame. Chief of the Division of Allergy, Immunology, and Rheumatology at UBMD Internal Medicine, Dr. Stanley Schwartz, explains how this is directly impacting Western New York. Plants are changing. They're changing their blooming habits. Uh, we're seeing longer periods of time when we have green plants growing, even in the northern climate like this. Carbon dioxide increases a plant's growth rate, which in turn increases is the amount and potency of pollen. Rising temperatures caused by carbon dioxide extend the plant growing season and the duration of allergy season. Bottom line, more plants, more problems. Bottom line, <laughs> more plants, more problem. <laughs> is it really that crazy what I what? said now? <laughs> great, great journalism. I stand Bottom line. corrected. I stand corrected. <laughs> oh, I heard that, Bottom and there's <laughs> more problems. More plants, more oh, problems. Yeah. So, like, how long, How many writers did it take in a room, like, late at night after eating, like, Chinese food and drinking three, four cups extra of coffee than you needed in that day? Did it take for them to come up with that line? All right, end? bottom line. Come on, come on, guys. Somebody, 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 anybody, somebody give me a, the bottom line here. Plants are bad. Oh, no, 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 no. We can't say that. We can't say that. More plants, more problems? Yes. Yes. That's it. Yes. Somebody was just like listening to some like 90s hip hop and like had that whole more money, more problems mindset on. Like, the Jay Z 99 problems, but a plan ain't one. Yeah. <laughs> or is it? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah, more plans so, for problems. Like, how audacious is that? <laughs> I, I was just like, wow. I, I mean, I always felt I always felt that, that was the undertone, but the having the actual uh, news reporter just straight up say that line, I was like, that is that is priceless. And uh, yeah. So then, what's the solution? Because one would argue that we need more forests so then what would they say like oh no we don't like do they even realize what the implications of such statements are like i don't know <laughs> it's, it seems it's just i don't know people put such bullshit out there but you don't even, honestly do you know what you even say with like i don't know i i would argue some people don't know what they say because i also learned recently that some people didn't realize that the same co2 that carbonates your drinks your sodas your 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 beverages these are this is the same co2 that we're talking about when it comes to atmospheric co2 <laughs> i, I did not know that some people don't know that and it's just like uh, i think this is scientific guess, yeah. illiteracy in play yeah. um but it's like yeah i don't max. know i don't know if they quite realize what they're saying but 
Yeah, I mean, one thing actually I wanted to say, though, about the whole greening, taking this back to the IPCC report, which um, uh, outlines a couple studies that were done, is uh, there is uh, a distinction that needs to be made. There is greening, uh, and what is meant by this? This is often measured uh, using satellites and looking at the the area of uh, the earth that is uh, uh, increasing with green plant matter, um, that some of these greening, some of the, the increase in this greening area is, is due to changes in land use. And this was brought up in the mm-hmm. IPCC report. Right. Um, and, and it seems to me that they are having a hard time separating the two. Right. Um, to know which one's driving what. It is without a doubt that greening is happening due to CO2 fertilization, that, mm-hmm. that this fertilization is adding to more green, uh, to more plant matter being created faster in combination with the fact that in Northern he- hemispheres, the growing season is increasing. These things are working together. Um, but th- there is, uh, you know, there is that caveat that because of changes in land use and and this is you know saying this is going to be untouchable forest or this land is going to be agricultural now these type of decisions made by governments um that that this is adding to the greening that we're that we're seeing uh over the last you know 60 years um so so don't go out there thinking all this greening all these numbers are are just because of CO two fertilization. There are other factors at play, and and knowing which amount contributes to it is important. Um, but well, when we look through this report, um, I'm talking about the IPCC report. It it still seems like it's uh, a contentious issue. Some some authors are saying. CO2 is driving it. Others are pushing back on that and saying, yes, it is having effect on it, but the main driver may be land use changes. Is that, is that a fair assessment? I think, uh, yeah, because that's also something that this New York Times article points to towards not only land use, but it does also point towards other um, maybe technological changes such as uh, fertilize, uh, better use of fertilizers, uh, better seed varieties, um, better irrigation so there could be multiple variables um, land use kind of falling into some of that and I think that's true obviously yeah but with better use I mean we we looked at the great wall or the great green wall of China which China has been running apparently since the last 40 years or whatever and it's more yeah and it's and it's going to run until 2050 mm-hmm. which is an effort uh, their last ditch effort and it seems to be a failing effort towards preventing the Ohabi desert is that the uh, what the, the desert in Mongolia Mongolia from encroaching into northern China. So they've been planting all these trees, all these trees there to try to prevent the desert from encroaching because, you know, the, the environments change, deserts move, and little by little, every year they do encroach onto your land. So this is a very serious problem that China has on their hands. So naturally, they've been taking action against it and they have been greening their northern. 
uh, border in order to help slow down this process. But apparently from what we're reading, it's been very ineffective and only 15% of the trees have actually taken root because they've been kind of mismanaged and there's been a lot of trees brought in that were not native to the ecosystem. Maybe they had properties such as they would grow quickly. However, they would use up more water, which was unavailable, which maybe drove more uh, drying of the soil, which was kind of counterproductive. So it goes to show you how complex these these issues are. Um, and yeah, policy is a, a factor to, at play here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that is a, a fascinating kind of example of, of you know, human intervention um, to, to counteract something as big as like the encroachment of a, a, a desert. And, you know, um, one thing I think is inspirational when I look at some of the ideas that come out of Chinese culture is looking at things over larger, larger uh, time spans. And, you know, they, mm-hmm. they really were, were trying something ambitious here. Yeah. Um, but I think also it is a good example of how um, in our attempt to like simplify uh, a, a problem uh, or come with a solution that um, we tend to uh, we tend to forget some of like the fundamental principles that you can observe in nature and and just like discussing monocrops in this example mm-hmm. had they um mixed the variety of trees and taken three instead of one i'm not sure a hundred percent what the details are on this but uh, on this project so they might have tried more trees than just this one type but it seems to me that you know th- this is an example again of, of oversimplification that that led to failure um and, and monocultures are you know never seen in nature and there's a reason for that and it goes mm-hmm. back to this kind of give and take and balance that 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 tends to uh work its way out whenever there is a um a uh you know an, a, a, a monoculture system the 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 diversifying of that system leads to a stronger system because things yeah. have strength and things have other things have weaknesses and they work together that way and that actually reminds me of um, what happened in North America and it kind of shows to where sharing information can be beneficial and kind of learning from history can be beneficial is that in North America, there was a similar issue in the 1930s where they had the dust bowls, right? Where they had mm. severe mono uh, crop um, agriculture and overuse of land, which led to essentially draining the land of all its nutrients, all its resources, all its water, really depleting the land and uh, to the degree where the soil would just be turned into dust and you had these crazy dust storms, um, which, which again, kind of maybe kind of like a side point, but yeah, it shows to have some of the impacts of how monoculture and um, inappropriate use of land can kind of have downstream negative consequences. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good example for sure. It takes long periods of time for them for you to see that, of course. But uh, yeah, it's interesting nonetheless. You know, it, they represent learning opportunities. And uh, the best thing you can do is not let those opportunities go to waste. Uh, exactly. It's just as humans, we just have such short 
short-term memories that we forget what happened 50 years ago, let alone what happened alone in like 1930, almost 90 years ago. That sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, that, and, and and that's, you know, a big problem when we're, we're, we're talking about trying to tackle something like climate change because it really will take an exerted effort over a long period of time and people um, remembering the objective and and uh, and following through to 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 combat this and and you know it's sometimes that's hard with the the four year political cycle or yeah. whatever it is to for for these long term plans to to tum- come to fruition but uh, they are much needed in in some of these bigger scale problems. Mm-hmm. So maybe we do need AI to solve these issues after all. <laughs> you know what? You know, point. I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of all of this discussion, it just comes to that. It's like, you know. Fucking yeah. spill some robots. We need some robots. AI is the solution. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's like that uh, Saturday Night Live thing with uh, Will Ferrell. It was like, more cowbell, more cowbell, more robots, more robots. <laughs> more ro- more it AI. Needs more robots. It needs more robots. <laughs> more AI. Yes. <laughs> all right, you had a last clip here you wanted to uh, discuss? Yeah, I mean, I feel like we've said all we needed to say, but I guess we can uh, we can ride this one off into the sunset somewhat. Um, this is just, again, um, this is, you know, this one here is from Yale, or at least it's connected to Yale University. And uh, th- this made me a little sad because, you know, it's one thing for... Sad, Elliot. Oh, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm feeling a little down after, after finding out that Yale's putting out clips like this. But um, my feelings aside, uh, you know, it's Wimp. one thing for... Uh, <laughs> What's that? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, sorry, go ahead. Uh, It's one thing for media stations to to play these type of clips that are biased. I understand there is a financial motive. There is an eyeball as you're trying to attract people. Um, But I just felt like this uh, just shows you like the levels of, of insanity when it comes to topics of climate change and 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 this is Yale climate connections so they are focused on all these different parts of climate change and they may have videos that speak more to other scientific um yeah, yeah other scientific matters that we've discussed today but uh, they they produced a clip that was just as in line with all these uh these media clips that we just played and mm-hmm. um you know th- these are this is coming out of a university a highly regarded university and uh i was just like wow okay so it's everywhere you know you think they'd be like more on the bleeding edge more on the nuanced more on the i don't know just in-depth knowledge understanding well, of what's going and, on and let me let me be very clear here it's again it's not about bringing up the connection of increased allergies that's so uh, problematic here. It's that it's always it's that it's brought up with no nuance or no connection or talk about the other implications of greening. It's like the benefits, the, the benefits, right? It's it's such a it's such a condensed narrative that if you were just to hear it, 
you'd be left with this impression that is incorrect because it's the omission of information has led to this biased view and and that is the problem it's not that they're talking about allergies and it's not talking about the the fact that there's going to be more ragweed growing yes there is and there's that means there's going to be more allergies but just but my that, question is have sense? they measured it yeah. have they actually measured more cases of allergies more severe cases of allergies and tied it in because like to me it's like okay you, you need to show the, the causation you need to show that mechanism of that leading to uh, some sort of significant impact well on, i would argue it's 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 uh, it's i don't know it's well not there well uh, you know i would argue that they're not necessarily saying that more people are succumbing to allergies, but that people that experience allergies are going to experience them for longer durations every year because there's a longer duration of um, uh, pollen um, due to due to these expanded seasons and and mm-hmm. more growth. So there's there's two things going on here. There's a population growing in proportion, uh, sorry, or a population growing. Um, with allergies so that is happening and there's multiple factors we don't all understand uh, about why more people are suffering from allergies that's one thing but I think it's is fair to say that if the people that do suffer from allergies will experience you know exposure to pollen for longer periods of time because there's a longer growing season and more plant growth that's but that's assuming that their allergies are first and foremost tied into pollen. Mm-hmm. Number one, may, people have allergies to many different things. Yeah, and then number two, it's is the excess pollen over the threshold necessary for the body to trigger an immune response to have an allergic reaction? Because there's pollen around almost twenty four seven, three sixty five, maybe arguably less in the winter. But like you know, say it fluctuates, doesn't it? Right? It's it does like fluctuate. It, yeah, I, right? I know what you're so saying. There's got to be pro- a threshold where there, like there, it goes above that, be, then yeah. you know. So it's I, like, yeah. I have not seen any papers on the matter, but like yeah, you said, like exactly. it's not it's not as cut and dry as simply saying more equals more. Exactly. There, there is a bit more to it. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. So let's jump into this third clip. Sure. Let's see what's up. I'm Dr. Anthony Lizowitz, and this is Climate Connections. For many people, the fall means colorful leaves, cozy sweaters, pumpkin spice, <laughs> and allergies. In late summer and fall, ragweed blooms and releases pollen into the air. It affects our eyes, our nose, gets into our mouth. Linda Walden is a family physician in Cairo, Georgia. She says the pollen triggers an inflammatory response in the body, with symptoms ranging from itchy eyes and a runny nose to congestion. It can also worsen asthma, especially in children and older adults, and it can cause a worsening of COPD. And climate change is making the problem worse. When temperatures are warm and there's more carbon dioxide in the air, ragweed produces more pollen. Meanwhile, ragweed seasons are getting longer. So to protect yourself, Walden suggests staying inside on dry, windy days when the pollen count is high. If you have to get out, definitely wear a hat or sunglasses to keep it from getting all into your hair or your eyes. She says the masks that protect against COVID-19 also help keep pollen out of your mouth and nose. And for allergy sufferers, medications such as antihistamines may provide relief so they can better enjoy the beauty of fall. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. To hear more stories like this, visit climateconnections.org. 
and I forgot that I sped up the whole clip by 1.1. That's why everybody kind of sounded like they were chipmunks. Okay. That was actually <laughs> a man speaking, and right. it sounded like a woman. But, uh, yeah, that, uh, that clip there was... Uh, Emblematic of that sentiment. Exactly. Thank you. And, I mean, I just think it's, it's always funny when uh, the... the you'll hear somebody say if you have to go out and i know that's that's something that that's come about in the last year because of the lockdowns and covid and everything but like if you have to go out it's like it's it was such a ridiculous statement what a ridiculous statement as if we're all gonna spend ourselves to go out i i don't know like just in case you have to go out (laughs) yes normally you wouldn't you just enclose yourself in your house and and that's just it it's like it's like i don't i'm lucky i'm fortunate i don't suffer from from extreme allergies but it's just like when, when someone says that i just think our people with allergies just looking at outside the window like god the world is against me it's just like if i go out there it's a war zone i gotta put my sunglasses my covid mask on i do know some people that suffer from some bad allergies from like hay fever which is like directly tied to pollen and it can be pretty bad and you know it's it does mess with their whole day and i know certain cases where it can be that bad yeah but again it's like of course like what what population the public you know what percentage is going to be impacted versus again like what is the net benefit versus the net cost Mm. that's ultimately the conversation i think that we're alluding to we're not saying that we don't feel bad to for people for having to potentially undergo more of an allergic uh, season that really sucks and i feel bad for you if you do have to go that but it's just to say that when we're talking about these subjects then you have to look at the net benefit and net cost and like uh, if there are benefits, then we should talk about those alongside those costs and not just focus on the costs exclusively. I think that's kind of like, from my point of view, what I want to bring people's attention to. Yeah. With this Come on, discussion. Yale. Yeah. Yale. Yale. <laughs> Climate connections. Trash. Unbelievable. Bunk. Bunk. Yale. Freaking, what, what are they? Ivy League. Um, yeah. Ivy League. Uh, universities are dying. Let's face it. Yeah. Yale. Especially. It's all just a name. Give it 15, 20 years. I don't think it's really going to matter. Anyway, that's a whole other discussion, though. Yeah. I think we talked a lot today about uh, greening CO2, how that's impacting the greening that's taking place, some of the positives, some of the negatives, how it's being discussed in media. Um, and yeah, any any closing remarks on that, uh, Elliot, before we sign off? Don't trust headlines. Don't trust headlines, yeah, as we learned. <laughs> don't trust headlines um it sucks if you have allergies uh you might have a slightly longer allergy season I feel for you there are some positives to take away and let's just try to look at things from a balanced nuanced point of view here here here, here. All, all right so that was first principles podcast we talked about ipcc greeting this was another episode in a series dedicated towards the uh, climate change ipcc report uh, more broadly and uh, if you like that please check out our website firstprinciplespodcast.com to find more episodes you can find us on any of your favorite podcast platforms from apple Podcasts to spotify to whatever google all that stuff and uh we'll catch you guys next time this is trees with elliot signing off we'll catch you guys next time first principles break down from the ground up you're here peace peace